Don't you pray with me, church? Lord, the scriptures tell us that the blood of Jesus Christ has ransomed people from every tribe and tongue and nation. You've won us to yourself at such a great cost. That's the cost. Your wounds have paid my ransom. Lord, I pray that we would be so astonished, freshly amazed, freshly in awe, freshly grateful for the deep cost of that sacrifice, that today again you would waken in us a deep desire to share the message of this great gospel with as many people as possible to the ends of the earth until your son Jesus returns for his great church. I pray that we would be a people who go and who share and who tell and who live and who let the nations know that a ransom has been paid through the blood of Jesus Christ and that new life is available through him. Oh, send us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Soften us, chasten us, empower us to be your ambassadors both here and to the ends of the earth with all that we have while you give us breath. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, greetings, church. It's very good to be with you again, wherever you are, as you enjoy this service with us. My name is Ross, and Psalm 67 is where we will be starting today. Today is the final week of our vision series, where we have been speaking of four loves. You see, we hope to be a people who love God, and who love the church, and who love the city, and who love the nations, and who do so in ever-increasing measure by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you tired of us saying it yet? Are you tired of hearing about these four loves yet? Good, that means it's working, because good vision needs to be stated again and again and again. Today, we're gonna be talking about growing in our love for the nations, for the peoples of the world. What we mean by that is that we would be a people with a big view of the worth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A view that would drive us to not just receive the good news of the gospel here in our own personal lives and in our very small immediate spheres of influence, but that that gospel would make us desire to go out and and to see that message received and multiplied out there to every people group on the planet, to people who we have never met, in groups we may never even have heard of, amongst cultures um, where Christ is neither named or known, that we would so value the gospel that we cannot help but share it widely right around the world. Now I'm excited about this week for a few reasons. Firstly, if you haven't noticed, I'm not from around here. In fact, I'm an immigrant and privileged to be so here in the United States. And so in a sense, I am from the nations, at least when we think from an American perspective. And so when we speak of places out there that God cares about, I am from one of those places. Uh, It might actually be helpful and interesting for you to know that South African Christians 
also speak about the nations. This is not just a burden that lies on the American church. The church family that I grew up in, that we were part of, um, and that I served as a pastor uh, at, we had long-term goers or or cross-cultural missionaries to Azerbaijan and Tunisia and Libya and Bulgaria. In fact, my parents, before I was born, were missionaries from South Africa to Alaska, isn't that crazy? Now, missionaries from Africa to one of the least church North American communities, and they lived there for a few years in very difficult circumstances, sharing the good news of the gospel. And so, don't hear this today. This is not just an American burden and then the nations who are recipients of our kindness and benevolence. It's not a one-way dynamic, that's not the burden. The burden is for every believer all over the world thinking, hey, the nations outside of the one that I am in still need to experience the joy and the flourishing of the gospel and the coming of the kingdom of God as a result of churches being planted in unreached people groups. That's always been the impulse. That we're people who receive the good news of the gospel, but that we're people who refuse to let it stagnate with us. We wanna share it freely with others. Secondly, I'm excited about this because I think the scriptures speak very clearly of God's love, God's care, and God's plans for the peoples of the world. So we're gonna look at that briefly today in the little bit of time that I have, but it means that, hey, when we love the nations, then we love something that God loves. And when we give ourselves to the mission of sharing the gospel with the nations, then we're actually participating with an existing mission that we know that God already blesses. And so we get to align our lives with the great purpose of the universe, the mission of God, to see his name known um, and spread and loved and worshiped all over the planet. Thirdly, I'm excited about this because you're actually sitting in, wherever you're receiving this today, if you're participating in the stone in any meaningful way, you're actually participating with a great church um, to be able to live out a firm conviction on this. One of the things that drew our family to the Austin Stone was its reputation for loving and serving the least reached people groups of the world. And so seriously, you are together with a group of people who are genuinely seeing a work of God that is difficult to explain. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak about uh, a little bit about it uh, towards the end. And so I pray that you, you stay with us and that you hear the work that God is doing. But you're, you're with a church that's doing this very well by His grace. I also want to acknowledge that not everyone here is excited about talking about the nations today. I understand some of the reservations just in this last week. I've had a few people ask me some really good questions. Some of them are really good, some of them are less good, but some some questions that, that I too have wrestled with over the years. I had a friend ask me just this last week, hey, don't we have enough to focus on here? Have you noticed that it's quite tumultuous on this side of the ocean? Have you noticed how the city of Austin is changing? Have you noticed how divided we are? Have you noticed that, that even church communities have become fractured and, and it feels like perhaps the evil one is winning a bit of a fight against the kingdom of God even here on our shores? Aren't there enough needs for us to meet here? Shouldn't we be on mission where we are? And the answer to that, of course, is yes, we should, but not at the expense of the other. 
I had someone else ask me a couple of weeks ago, genuine question with a good impulse, something that I've wrestled through a lot because of where I'm from and the history of that land. They, they, they asked, isn't there a danger that in cross-cultural missions, that in going to the nations from a Western perspective, isn't there a danger of us exacerbating some colonialist and imperialistic thinking and behavior? And I would say, yes, there is. And History bears that out, and, and many of those sins are readily available for people to see um, and to rightly rebuke. But again, that doesn't stop us from actually doing it without being hindered by those very same impulses. You see, I wrestled with these questions a great deal, especially as a young minister in a church in Johannesburg who discovered something known as the missional church impulse. And so while I had grown up with cross-cultural missions as one of the, the lenses through which I saw God's advancing kingdom in the world, uh, I started to hear this information about being on mission where you are, and it grabbed hold of my heart. But if the truth could be seen as a pendulum with, with some kind of truth hanging in the middle in tension, um, I recognized that I didn't want all of our mission to be about going somewhere else. I wanted our mission to be about reaching my neighbors down the street and being good news to the cities in which we were called. And so I pulled that message across to this side and said, no, mission is just about where you are. That's how you advance the, the, the mission of God. That's how you participate in the kingdom of God is just being hyper-local and, and, and hyper-evangelistic where you are. The truth, it turns out, is both of those things and, and the scriptures bear them out and so we would do well to hold them in tension. I remember getting a firm rebuke from a faithful older lady called Ruth who served at that church. She led our missions department and in fact, I was sad to hear that she's actually gone to be with the Lord just this last December. But Ruth lived her whole life as a single woman committed to sharing the good news of the gospel into some of the least reached communities on the earth. And she sat with me, a young man, a petulant young man. She listened to my objections so patiently and then one day, all she did was just remind me of the good news of the, of the gospel. And, and she reminded me that, hey, Ross, you're sitting here today far from where this message started because somebody at some point saw this message as so valuable that they shared it with somebody beyond their original sphere of influence. And that's happened again and again and again and again until you can sit here and glibly be a recipient of this great news and question whether it should go further on beyond you. She just viewed it as stewardship. If you value the gospel, you'll share the gospel. If you value the gospel a lot, you'll make sure that it gets shared very, very widely. It's a stewardship issue. I, I, I sat there and I was rightly rebuked and began to draw my worldview in this particular area back into line with what the scriptures teach us. Oh friends, lots of dumb young men should have to sit at the feet of ladies like my friend Ruth. We would all be better for it. I still remember a staff devotion that she led from Psalm 67 and so it is there that I want us to turn today and I want us to consider just three very simple truths. We're gonna be quick today, just three simple truths that I'm hoping God roots in our hearts. Number one, the people of God are called to be stewards of the blessings of God. Number two, the blessing of God is the most precious and costly thing that we will ever steward. And number three, the power of God is given in special measure to those who steward this blessing. All right, number one, the people of God are called to be stewards of the blessing 
of God. Let's look at it. Psalm 67, let's look at it together. Verse one, it says, may God, so this is a prayer, right? It's a wonderful prayer too. You, should, you do well to commit this psalm to memory. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah, which is like a pause. Think about that, right? And you're like, amen, I don't need to think about that. That is an amazing prayer. Would God give me grace? Would he bless me? Would he make his face shine upon me? Would his face beam when he looked into mine? I love that, what a phenomenal prayer. But it could feel a little selfish and perhaps even a little trite to us in the context because we have reduced the concept of blessing to the silliest of worldly trinkets. And by the standards of those trinkets, we may feel like we are already winning. But the biblical concept of blessing is anything but trite and anything but cheap. It speaks of God's approval of us. It speaks of God's goodness manifest in our lives, of the fullness of his presence available to us. The psalmist is saying, God, I want you in your grace to give me more of you, more of your goodness, more of your kindness, more of your mercy, more of your presence, more of your truth, more of your joy. I need it. Please give me more of you. He expands on this, on this when he uses the phrase, hey, make your face shine upon us. This speaks of God's loving approval that God would look at us and his face would light up and we would get to enjoy the face-to-face -face unfettered access of a child with their doting parents. Who wouldn't wanna pray this? What a marvelous prayer. And, and what would that take? Well, the psalmist knows. Grace, God, you're gonna have to be gracious in order for this to come true. Why? We don't deserve any of that. And so you see what a great gospel prayer this is. Lord, we want unrestricted, unrestrained access to you and all of your goodness. That's going to require you to be gracious with us. Please do that. My friends, the great news, if you've read the rest of the Bible, is that Ephesians 1 tells us that for believers, God has already answered this prayer in every kind of meaningful and tangible way. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. His face right now, if you're a believer, is shining towards us. What a thought. We are a blessed people with unrestricted access to the Father. How blessed are we, all right? But then look at what the psalmist says will be the result of being so blessed. What will be the result of God's kindness and grace, the result of his face shining upon us? Verse two, that, right, it's consequential. So do this please, Lord, that, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations, that the people's praise you, Lord. Don't just make the blessing for me. I want it to be for the peoples. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations, the, the people groups across the planet be glad and sing for joy for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Say, la, think about that. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The result, friends, the consequence is that God's way and, and God's saving power would be made known among all the nations as a result of him blessing his people. 
that everyone would get to see how kind and wise his judgment is and that the nations would experience the unrestrained gladness of having God's face shine upon them in grace. You see, the blessing of God through the grace of God was always given to the people of God in the understanding that it would be shared far and wide with the nations of the world. It's a posture of stewardship. When we receive the gospel, we receive a great treasure that we then ought to steward as widely as possible. We have been blessed so much by God that we cannot help but share that with the people of the world. It has always been the commanded posture of the people of God. Let me just show you quickly, let's do a biblical theology. I'm gonna walk you Genesis to Revelation. I could have picked thousands of texts. I'm just gonna look at a couple, just show you quick that this is supposed to always have been the posture of the covenant people of God. Start with Genesis 12. Let's look at it. The Lord says to Abram, go from your country. This first language of promise is a, is a language of mission, a language of departure, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And what will I do? I will make of you a great nation. Again, well, that sounds okay, great. This is gonna be one people. No, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It's not just gonna be for you. It's gonna be for the peoples of the world. This is the beginning of God forming a post-Eden covenant community for himself. And it's worth looking at a couple of things in it to see God's global impulse. Because you could read this and conclude that God was forming one nation of blessing that he, decide, that he desired to look after. But look closer. The impulse is for Abraham to go from where he is. Do you know where Abraham is when he gets the call? Iraq. Well, Iraq, right? As I'm learning to say in my, my new home. He's saying, go from here to another land, to another group of people. Don't just stay where you are, take this blessing and make sure that someone else gets it. You see, God does want to make a great nation, a people for himself, but the purpose of that nation is gonna be for the blessing of the world. There will be a great, great blessing to others and will therefore be bigger and more diverse than any concept we could come up with of a single nation blessed by God. The reach is outward and away from the very beginning, from the very first moment. It even goes back to the Edenic instruction of go fill the earth, right? Subdue it. It's not just about you receiving blessing, it's about extending it. Look at how this is explained a few chapters later in Genesis 18, 18. Uh, uh, let's jump in verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, why, why would he not? He says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And what's the result of this blessing? All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. You might go in him, that, that, that's strange. That word in is a bit tricky. It can also be translated through, which is what a number of other translations go for. But look again at the impulse. Uh, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm gonna form them around you and then that great nation will be a blessing to all of the other nations, all of the nations of the earth. This verse we know is ultimately fulfilled by the seed of Abraham in Christ, at least according to Paul as he writes to the Galatian church. But that blessing, friends, just, just see the impulse. It's, it's so simple, I know. But that blessing isn't for one place. That blessing isn't just for one people. It isn't just for one tribe. The, 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 the posture of that blessing is receive it and then give it for the benefit of all of the nations of the earth. Most of the 
rest of the Old Testament is then just a chronicle of God's people failing to live out this mandate and God having to get them back on track. The law, in part, is an instruction on how to be this sort of blessing nation. The history books chronicle failure after failure of Israel's kings to lead the people into this sort of destiny. The prophets scream repeat rebukes and corrections and recalls to the people, pleading with them to come back to this great mandate. Just read Isaiah. It's, It's one of the prominent themes of that whole book. It's all over there. Now again, I could have chosen hundreds of texts out of the prophets, but look at an often overlooked prophet in Habakkuk from chapter two in the midst of a rebuke that the covenant people of God have lived selfishly and have stopped sharing their blessing with the surrounding nations. And and look what happens. God promises the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's saying to them, you haven't done it, but it's still gonna be done. Habakkuk says, you guys are messed up. You've forgotten the call to bless the nations. And so instead of you getting to go to them, the Babylonians are coming to you. You were supposed to bless them and God is gonna use them to punish you. But he hasn't reneged on his promises or his intentions. He's still gonna do it. The glory of God will get everywhere. There is nowhere it will not go. Fast forward to the New Testament, to Jesus. What's the posture of his life? Well, his whole life he gets criticized for deliberately pushing away from Jewish nationalism, from keeping this thing small. He heals Romans. He uses Samaritans as heroes in his stories. He eats with tax collectors. He pays taxes to an unjust colonial government, which must have driven his disciples insane. And then he teaches again and again, calling God's people back to their mandate that they are blessed in order that they would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Look at this marvelous culmination of this in his marching orders of hope in the midst of his prophecies of destruction which occur in Matthew 24. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, and then the end will come. We then of course have the rest of the New Testament, which in large part chronicles the early church trying to live this impulse out across the then known world with Paul reminding them constantly that it wasn't just for them and him going on journey after journey after journey to plant new communities of churches where Jesus was neither named nor known so that this mandate could be lived out in their midst. The church was meant to be a blessing for the people's of the world. You start to get the biblical flow, all right? We'll fast forward to the end. Look at John's marvelous view of how we gather in heaven. In Revelation 7, verse nine, he says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Look at this, this is our future destiny from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a vision. Heaven is gonna be astonishing. It's gonna be a gathering of the nations. It's gonna be like the Olympics, but with better outfits. It's gonna be people from everywhere. Imagine how cool that will be. It will test some of our current comfort idolatry, friends. I'm telling you, because there will be people from everywhere 
It's worth noting that there'll be no national anthems and no pledges to nations. Those things may well be useful and helpful in their context today, but they're not eternal things. There will be flags to be sure, but there'll be praise flags and no others. Our new pledge of allegiance will be salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And everyone from every nation will say amen to that pledge. What a thought. And so friends, we join a long line of recipients of the gracious blessing of God through the gospel. We're stewards of it. How well are you stewarding it? We are supposed to be those who say determinately that we are so grateful that it came to us that we absolutely refuse to let it stop with us. This blessing of God's face shining upon us is so great, it must be shared with the peoples of the world. Okay, but what if we don't want to? <laughs> what if you're like, I just don't, I don't feel burdened, I don't feel interested, I'm, I'm just not that into it. Well, perhaps it would be helpful for you to just remember some of the costliness of the grace that we have received. And so the second observation today is that the blessing of God, this ability for him, for us to have his face shining upon us is the most precious and most costly thing we'll ever steward. It's our most valuable possession. Nothing else that we have comes close. Go back with me to Revelation, a couple of chapters earlier in chapters five. Here, here are some verses that serve as real fuel for our fire to, to love the nations. It should anyway. They've been looking for someone worthy to unlock the scroll and no one can be found. And then the lamb comes forward, a slaughtered lamb. And in his tremendous weakness, that's actually ultimate strength, he is the one found worthy. And they all fall down to sing praise and adoration for the lamb. And verse nine says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And listen, by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth by your blood. You have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. My goodness, Christ's blood was, was the ransom so that people of every nation, tribe and tongue can be gathered around his throne in eternity one day. When we realize the price that Christ paid to have every tribe and tongue and nation gathered around his throne, then we ought to be moved by their value to him. Even if those people don't have immense value to us, we ought to be moved by their value to him. It becomes less about how much we value particular countries and more about how much we value the precious blood of Christ. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to India and it came in a difficult season of ministry in my life. I was very busy and this trip kind of crept up on me and so I got on the plane like a little bit flushed and not super prepped for my arrival. And in fact, uh, Will Bostian is the new congregation pastor at our North congregation was, uh, was with me on that trip and I flew from Johannesburg to, to Hyderabad. 
And when I arrived, no one picked me up. And so I got lost in the city of Hyderabad and then someone fleeced me for money and I thought I'd never see my family again. And uh, it, it didn't get off to a great start. And then they took us to our hotel, which wasn't a hotel. And I was like, oh Lord, this is terrible. There was stuff growing out of the walls, literally. Um, and so I, I struggled, I slept on the floor and we had some uh, meetings with pastors and some of them went brilliantly and some of them were really tough. And we were in a really, really difficult part of the city surrounded by such abject poverty. And I must confess, friends, my own hard heart, after a few nights, I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to go home. I was like, Lord, I don't value this work. I don't feel called um, uh, to, to be here. I wanna go home to comfort. I wanna go home to familiarity. Uh, I, I don't feel like I wanna be here. And one of the last nights there, um, we went and vid- visited a, a, a home that some pastors had created for vulnerable women in the community who had no other protection in the society. And as I sat there pretty hard hearted and pretty ready to go home, um, kind of bemoaning my own fate. I mean, such a silly, prejudicial, privileged view. So daft, so sinful, I understand. One of those young ladies stood up and quoted from Revelation 5 and tears started to pour down her cheeks as she spoke about how precious it was to her that even though she had nothing, she was precious to Christ who had ransomed her and saved her at the cost of his own blood so she felt like the most beloved, most precious person on the planet. Oh, friends, that brought immense repentance (laughs) from this sinful man. And I realized, oh my goodness, by your blood, you ransomed a people, a people who are precious. And so friends, we don't just love India because India is awesome and it is and it's a wonderful experience, but we love India because Christ gave his blood so that people from India will be gathered at his throne, that's why. Can I tell you what I learned this week as I was researching for this sermon? India has 800 million people who have no access to the gospel or a local church. 800 million people, no church. That's two and a half Americas with no access to the gospel. 40% of the world's seven billion people currently live with the same plight. Christ shed his precious blood for them and there is no one to tell them. There are 7,000 people groups that have no access to the gospel, no believers in Jesus, no Bibles, no churches, no missionaries, nothing. Our friends, the precious blood of Christ, according to the scriptures, ransomed people, people in Singapore and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Tunisia and Uzbekistan and Russia and the Czech Republic and the Democratic Republic of Congo and Venezuela and Peru and the Philippines and Vietnam and Namibia and Chad, all of them valuable, precious, worth the blood of Christ, according to Christ himself. Okay, God, stir our hearts with that again. The people of God are called to be stewards of the blessing of God. The blessing of God is the most precious and costly thing we'll ever steward. But lastly, here's this great news, listen to this. The power of God is given in special measure to those who steward this blessing. When we get into the scale of the work that's yet to be done, it can seem overwhelming to the extent that we do not even want to begin. But let me tell you, friends, God is doing something truly remarkable in his power right here in our day and age. Do you remember his promise in the Great Commission? You remember Matthew 28, everyone knows this Great Commission. 
Uh, but do you remember his promise? Jesus said to them, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Isn't that great news? He doesn't say given to you. He says he's got it. He's got all authority in heaven and earth. And so go, therefore, because of that, because you trust in his authority, go and what do you do? Make disciples where? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Look at this promise. Look at this promise. Don't miss it. And behold, I am with you, even, always, even to the very end of the age. Here's what he's saying. As you live out the Great Commission, as you do this, you get to see God's great authority and his supernatural power accompanying the work in a way that we don't perhaps get to see otherwise. And so as we do this, we get to see God's power and authority in a way that we don't get to see when we don't do this. Now, let me run some stats by you. Don't dial out. Don't roll your eyes. Don't roll the eyes of your heart even. Let's just, let's just dial in here and, and look at this. This is, this is phenomenal. Remember the scale, right? But let me just put you in the loop of some of the ways that God's power is working through some of the people of this local church. While many of us are sitting biting our nails about the future of American Christianity, these saints have been out there by the power of the Holy Spirit changing the future of nations over the course of the past year. Okay, Holy Spirit, just awaken us to the immensity of this. Over the course of the past year, right? While the rest of us are just like, what is happening in the world? These guys are like, here's what's happening in the world. Our goers, those sent from the Austin Stone, have had... 10,947 intentional spiritual conversations among the unreached. Intentional spiritual conversations in areas where no one's having intentional spiritual conversations. Our goers had 10,947 of them. Imagine if we started praying about those conversations and partnered in that work in a meaningful way. They have started over the last year 41 Bible studies among their target people groups. They saw 303, listen to this, multiplication, Bible studies go to the second, third, or fourth generation. We're passing it on to people who are passing it on, to people who are passing it on. Now listen to this. Oh my gosh, Lord. As a direct result of the ministries of our goers in and amongst the least reached people, some of the least reached people on the planet, 5,167 people professed faith in Jesus Christ. And 1,826 people were baptized. That is revival. That is on the scale of the book of Acts. And it's happening through the faithfulness of people we have sent out from this local church. Why? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ and he is with them as they do this disciple making work. There's no other explanation. Since we have been tracking in 2017, as a direct result of our Goa ministries, there are now 1,638 new churches among unreached people groups. My goodness, friends, you're sitting in the middle of a revival. You're sitting in the middle of a revival. That is the people of God stewarding the blessing of God by the power of God because they know the incredible value and worth of that blessing and what it took to earn it. Okay, as I close today. Wow, 
God, move our hearts. I hope you move our hearts. How can we participate meaningfully in this? I've got a few things for you today, really practical. Number one, as we sing in response around our congregations, and if you're sitting at home and enjoying this online, remember the gospel. Remember that you have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the value that he attached to winning you back to himself. Remember the fact that his face shines upon you now because of the sacrifice Jesus made on your behalf. Remember the gospel. Secondly, participate meaningfully in the work here in the church through giving and through prayer. Go on the app, go on the website, get yourself connected um, to to some of our goers around the planet. Um, You can help to fund their mission, to keep them out there in the field. You can meaningfully pray for them and get onto some good prayer request lists from them. Third, here's the big ask. Ask the Lord. And I mean ask him. I'm gonna do this. If he is calling you to go, ask him, just Lord, here I am. If the call's for me, send me. Ask him and see what the Spirit says. If there's even the smallest inclination of a nudge from the Spirit, and the best thing that you can do, we've become, we've become really good at, at starting to test these calls and train people in these calls, the best thing you could do is you could join what we call a DMI, right? We've got a little abbreviation for everything, right? It's a disciple-making intensive. It's a 10-week intensive where you can start to get trained on what it looks like to steward the blessing of God to the nations of the world. Don't you ask him? Don't you prayerfully consider, Lord, do you want us to sign up to, to be part of one of these 10-week disciple-making intensives to test this call? And then if he says yes, then you say, well, here I am. Here I am, friends. Let's all steward the great blessing of the gospel. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. And let them sing for joy. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you continue to show us the glory of the gospel, the greatness of the call. Why don't you just stir our hearts out of apathy today and remind us that we're stewards of this great gospel. Why don't you provoke us through your Holy Spirit to steward it well, whatever that may look like. Father, to those who We need to be here in the city of Austin, praying, sending, funding, supporting. Oh Lord, let us steward it well. Let us steward it well. But to those whom you are summoning, Father, and saying, go, let us steward it well. Let us not resist you. Let us be sensitive to your spirit. We praise you for the miraculous work we're seeing through the hands and efforts of our goers. Bless them, protect them, encourage them, continue to do it. Just continue to do it. And then Lord, send more, send more, send more. We cannot wait to see the great harvest that's brought in as a result. What a joy to steward this blessing. Teach us to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.